If you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, as we begin chapter 8, Paul is now going to speak to an area, to an issue that there are unfortunately too many pastors that spend way too much time talking about this particular subject. Matter of fact, you might go to a church and hear a 10-week series on giving, and it will get really, really painful because the Bible doesn't speak about this subject very frequently, nor does it speak about it very often in the sense of our personal uh, place in what God does in this world through our giving. But he does speak of it here, and the Word speaks of it here, and so because we take the Bible chapter and verse uh, line on line, precept on precept, I will teach on that subject tonight. So if you're visiting with us, know this. Uh, this is simply because we are here in this particular passage of Scripture. But the Bible is very authoritative about the place of giving in the life of a believer because it is an extension of God's grace in our lives. Giving is an act of worship, it is not an obligation. It is a privilege, and, and when you see it correctly, then it will be, as the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, a joy, a privilege, something we do enthusiastically, and something that we can look back on and go, that was so awesome to join God in the work that he's doing. And let me begin by praising you as part of this church because of your faithfulness and because of your attention to grace in giving, there is an orphanage in both Cajabamba and Cajamarca, Peru. Because of your grace in giving, there is an orphanage and a children's center in El Sunsal, in the capital, outside of the capital city of El Salvador. Because of your grace in giving, there are churches that have buildings in Africa because of your grace in giving, your grace in giving. In other words, you, you returning back to the Lord because of what he's done in your life through your giving, there are people all over the world that have benefited exactly, exactly as the Apostle Paul is going to commend the Macedonian Christians here in 2 Corinthians as we begin here in chapter 8. And so I want to encourage you. This is a tough subject for pastors because very often it appears that we're you know, seeking uh, self when, when talking to others about giving. I pray that none of that comes out of me tonight. Because number one, this church is not my church, it's the Lord's church. Number two, the bank account is not my bank account. It belongs to the Lord, and I don't even control it. Number three, what we do, we do for the one true king and not for my personal benefit nor my family. And so what we do in this area actually is simply a response to the grace that God's placed in our lives. It's what we should want to do because of who we are in Christ. And so I pray that as we tackle a subject that is tough to teach on, and it is also at times tough to hear, because let's face it, not all of us are in the same place financially. Some of you tonight, I realize, are hurting 
Some of you tonight are are barely making ends meet. Some of you tonight uh, are having a difficult, difficult time. You're facing something financially that is that is painful, hurtful, and you don't see a way that that this is going to be met by the Lord. But I'm here to tell you the same God that's the God of abundance is the God of need as well. And and so we, we turn our attention to the Lord because of who he is, not what he's done for us. And, and so in our grace in giving, we're going to learn some lessons tonight from the Macedonian Christians and from other passages here in Scripture. So would you pray with me? And we'll pick up here in the first nine verses of Second Corinthians chapter 8. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being able to read your word. Lord, that we actually have eyes to read it and we have ears to hear it. Lord, that you've called us by grace through faith Uh, into a right relationship you have justified us by the blood of jesus christ that we have been brought and adopted into the family of the one true king we are joint heirs with christ and so as we tackle a subject that's difficult lord would you help us to realize exactly how blessed we are uh, as we give the way you've purposed us to give and so lord bless us as we hear bless us as we learn And bless us, Lord, ultimately as we give in Jesus' name, amen. Now let me begin by setting the stage from Jesus' perspective. In Matthew chapter 6, a passage familiar to all of you, Jesus speaking uh, in this incredible passage that we know is the Sermon on the Mount, uh, continues to speak to all these issues uh, in, in the same chunk of Scripture. We get the Beatitudes But Jesus begins his understanding for us by stating something very, very simple. And this is one of those things that people kind of argue about. Well, there's no place in the New Testament where we're told how much to give. Can I tell you that is exactly the wrong question? Because Jesus actually begins by saying when you give. He doesn't say if you give, and he does not talk about how much you should give, because there are conditions in Scripture that we'll look at that have never been altered since they began, and so there are background pieces of information that are helpful, but Jesus treats this subject as a known piece of doctrinal information that the average person would know. He say if, not if, but when you give. So it's not an option for the child of God. It isn't one of those things that we should look at and go, well, I don't know if I can give, or I don't know if I should give. I don't know if I have enough money to give. I don't know any of these things. Jesus doesn't treat it in a way that you should even look at your finances that way. We should look at our finances like God owns everything already. It's already his. And so when we give, we are doing exactly what Jesus did for us. It's a position of understanding that we have to start with because it is what Scripture clearly paints for us as New Testament believers. And so Jesus says simply, but when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And so Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6 on the issue of giving itself, 
doesn't say think about it. He says, when you do it, do it secretly and know this. God sees exactly what you're doing, and he is the one that rewards us for what we do before his throne of grace. And so beginning there, verse 1 here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now look at verse 2. How is the grace of God bestowed on the church of Macedonia that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality? He said that you could see the abounding and the abiding grace in the church in Macedonia that when they were in tremendous affliction, they did not forget who God was and they understood fully that they had a part to play in what God was doing in this world financially. And so in that affliction and poverty, they gave abundantly. They didn't wait for God to give them more. They gave when they were already hurting. And this is super important because nothing in a practical sense will test where you are with the Lord in the issue of faith like consistent giving. And the reasons are many. And I've already named some because we're not always doing good, amen? Any of you have bills? I thought so. Any of you ever get sick or have a car accident or something unexpected that takes an inordinate amount of resources in our day and time? That's kind of the normal state of things, isn't it? So if you're looking to God to always give you more in advance of the need, then you will not act in faith in this area of life. You'll just simply give when you have excess. And that's not what our Bible teaches about how we are to be with our resources that he has loaned to us, entrusted to us, because they are in fact every last penny and everything you own is still his. Everything's his. It's not actually yours. It's not mine. It does not belong to Calvary Chapel South Bay, Inc. That's our corporation, by the way. We have Calvary Chapel South Bay, Inc. And all of the assets of the corporation are actually held by the corporation. But I can tell you what the corporation's position is on who owns them because I'm the president of the corporation and one of the voting members, it all belongs to God. And whatever he wants to do with it, it's his business. It's his church his resources, they're all still his. And so the church is being instructed here in this area. And so Jesus says, when we give, it's in spite of circumstances. When we give, it is in spite of circumstances. This church was at the rock bottom. And they didn't look at their finances by going, well, we need this. Because effectively, when we live our lives that way, we're basically saying God is not going to be faithful to his promise that he will supply all of his riches according to his, all of, his, all of our needs according to his great riches in Christ Jesus there in Philippians 4. See, if we really believe God, God is in charge of taking care of our finances. You may think that the only reason that you have money in the bank account is because you're a wizard at work. 
You, you may believe that the only reason you have the things that you have is because you've worked really hard for them. You may think those things, but the fact of the matter is every good and perfect gift has come down from our Father of lights who's in heaven. Everything. So whether you're in want or whether you're in abundance, everything you have actually came from God in the first place. So in that sense, he's loaned it to us and he's looking at us then as stewards He sees what we possess in that sense and have control of as his, and he gives to those more whom he can trust with what he has given them. And so very often you will see this play out in Christians' lives. They'll not do what's going on here with the Macedonian church. They only give when they like what the pastor said on Sunday. Can I tell you that's true? Sometimes when I, you know, I let it go from the pulpit, it shows up in the checking account. Now, I don't know who gives, but we do get a report for the board, and we can tell, you know, when there's been a message given that somebody doesn't like, every once in a while you go, wow, that's kind of interesting. Can I tell you that also is not the right reason to give or not give? We give in spite of circumstances. It's what the Bible teaches categorically the bible says everything belongs to the lord that we are kind of a a pass-through account and so this church gives joyfully and they give liberally when they're broke now i'm not telling you to be flippant and i'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody i'm telling you that's what the bible says the bible says that this church that is praised because of their giving was praised in their giving when they didn't have anything. When they were hurting. Is that difficult? Oh yeah, it's very difficult. But it also is a way for you to say that you trust God. That you believe his promises. That you know that he's got it. And I'm telling you, there is no computer algorithm for this. There's nothing where you're going to punch in a bunch of numbers and go, deep poverty equals financial success. Mathematically, it isn't going to work out that way. It's going to work out because heaven says it does. Heaven says it does. And so we have to keep this in view when we think about our lives. And see, you don't see everything that goes on, but I want to share. Most of you know we had a couple of earthquakes around July 4th and 5th, right, in Ridgecrest? Any of you actually live in Ridgecrest? I didn't think so. We don't have a satellite campus there. But I can tell you what the Lord did, and that's through your faithfulness. We sent them the entire amount necessary for them to rebuild the roof in their sanctuary. Because you've been faithful. Because you're listening to the Lord. Our roof is still standing. We don't need one. But God has entrusted funds to us as stewards. And so we simply hear. We have have no direct connection with them. But they, like these Macedonian Christians, had a need. The church at Corinth had a need. And each of them had the opportunity 
to test God and see whether he was going to be good. And when they did, they found out God was good. And God has been so good to us. And so it's not what are we going to get out of it. It's let's try and outgive God. And so when we see a need, we're not looking to see if it fits on a spreadsheet nice and neatly. Now, we have lots of spreadsheets. Our books here are actually gone over monthly by a CPA, and they are audited annually by an outside accounting firm. So I can tell you we hold the very highest standards of financial excellence in this ministry. But we don't always look at everything and say, well, you know, can we afford that? Very often the board just simply says, is there a need and has God called us to meet that need? And there's just a check written. And it's not because our name's gonna go on the building. It's not because we're gonna get a plaque that says, look what Calvary Chapel South Bay did. It's because God has given us the privilege of being able to simply be givers. Be blessed. Not when you see that brother or sister in need that you harden your heart towards them and say, be warm and be filled. Hope God does something about it, brother. We give in spite of circumstances. Paul's ministry paradox that we've already seen as poor but yet being rich. Interesting to me, you know when the first example of corporate giving actually was in the Old Testament. It was when the children of Israel were still wandering in the wilderness. And you know how much they gave? Everything. When they were going to build the tabernacle, this tent of meeting, this place that they could go meet with God, they cashed in everything they had to do it. And so they're in the wilderness, they're struggling. God is having to sprinkle the ground with manna and send quail for them to eat. And they say, yes, Lord, we believe, we want to meet with you. So we're going to give you everything we have. Important for us to get these principles. And I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you what the Bible says about it. Grace giving means in spite of taxes, in spite of bills, in spite of mortgages, in spite of college funds, in spite of strikes and shutdowns and layoffs and government knuckleheads. Grace and giving is directly linked to what we believe about God, not simply our circumstances. A second thing, when we give, notice verse three with me, It's with vibrant enthusiasm. It's not, oh no, here comes the tithe bag. It's not, well, I I think I have to go to the bathroom right now. Because the offering is going to happen. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of you are doing that, but I'm telling you, I've actually had conversations with people where they'll share with me, yeah, until I really got this principle, every time I would come in late, so I would miss the offering. You're missing an opportunity to worship the Lord, if that's what's going on in your hearts. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, beyond their ability, 
they were freely willing, imploring us, check this out, with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. They said, we're so into this, they begged them to take the cash. Can I tell you, I've had the privilege of doing that on our behalf. It's like, no, we just want to help. Well, what do you want? No, we don't want anything. We just want to help. When that actually happened in this instance that I'm sharing with you, because you're a part of the body of Christ here, you should know these things occasionally. It's like, well, you know, we're not really, we don't know. And it's like, would you just be quiet and take the cash? We actually want to help. Well, yeah, but you know, you've, you've never taught here and you don't know us. I said, yeah, but you're part of the body of Christ, right? We just want to help. It's enthusiasm. It's like, would you please take the money? We want to help. You're part of the family. You see, that's every church's position because every church only holds in their reserves what God has entrusted to them. Not one cent falls out of that category. So everything we have, God's saying, I want to give it to you. You hang on to it until I tell you I need it. And the way he does that certainly is through our accounting department saying these are the bills we have for every month. But it's also when that pastor calls us from Uganda and said our roof caved in, we don't know what we're going to do. We do. We're going to send you a new roof. And oh, by the way, we're going to send you people to build the new roof. We're supposed to be enthusiastic about it. And if we are all enthusiastic about it, then the resources are there for us to be enthusiastic about it. It's with vibrant enthusiasm. Have you ever gotten that place to where you can't wait to see what God's going to do? We have this project going on in Cartagena where we're building... Uh, this facility out on on the island of Tierra Bomba. And and Connie and I, I think we're going to go, hopefully in September, there's going to be a dedication facility. I just want to go see what God's doing. It's it's a privilege to say, Lord, you're so good. Look what you're doing. We should feel like that when we write our check for our giving. When we put money in it, Lord, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. Can I share with you? Some things that God's done in the last couple of years. There's a new roof on this building. There's obviously a paint job. There's, brand, there's vans out in the parking lot for our kids to get to camp in. The sound system is less than two years old. The lighting system is about a year old. That's all enthusiasm to see what God's going to do. These video projectors, same thing. All this stuff is God, do what you want to do. It's not like, well, you know. Let's hoard it up. You never know we might need it. Can I tell you what's happened as a board when we start to think the way God thinks? We figured out we can't actually outspend him. We keep giving it away and he keeps giving us more. This church has tonight more in the bank than it's ever had. Amen? Amen? We also give away more money to the mission field than we've ever done. We've taken better care of the facility than it's ever been taken care of. 
And I'm telling you that because that is the result of us handling God's things God's way. He'll give you more so you can be trusted to use it for his glory. And so he gives us stuff for Jerusalem and he gives us stuff for Judea and he gives us stuff for Samaria and he gives us resources for the uttermost parts of the world because that, that's his care and concern. So we need to think this way about our grace in giving. Vibrant enthusiasm because we don't know what God wants to do. A third thing, when we give, we give as Jesus gave. I want you to check this out very carefully in these remaining verses. And not only as we had hoped, verse 5 says, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. How many of you came to faith in Christ by some other means than grace? Did you earn your own way? Did you buy in? You know, it's kind of like a poker game. I shouldn't know these things, but I do. You know, it's like there's a buy-in. It's like you got to do something and it'll let you play because you got enough cash. No, it's not like that, is it? For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. We have all come to faith and been adopted into God's family. We are going to heaven because of God's grace. Amen? So everything you have that's tied to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords on this earth and in heaven is directly linked to the grace of God. That's why the Apostle Paul says what he says here. He says, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. You see, it's actually God that's in control. God's the one that's adopted us into the family. God's made all these things happen. God has given you everything that you have and me everything that I have. And so we urge Titus, verse 6, that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. In other words, this is a grace race, amen? We're, we're in it because of God's grace and for God's grace. We're, we're working out his will and pleasure in our lives, amen? We're, we're trying to say, God, we want to do what you put us on this planet to do. And part of that is the things that he's entrusted to us. It's an extension of his grace, Sometimes we go, well, grace is just like the word of God and prayer and fellowship. No, God's grace in your life is every part of your life. It's your financial life. It's your business life. It is your spiritual life. It is your moral life. It is your recreational life. It's every last part of your life. There's nothing excluded. So why would we go, well, well no, you can, uh, well, I'll serve you, Lord, but you, you know, don't ask me to give. Notice how this continues. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, all diligence, in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also, the grace of giving, the grace of being generous, the grace of having an understanding that you don't own a single thing. God actually owns it all. Abound in that grace. You, you see, you have knowledge, you have faith, you have speech, 
You even have diligence and even in love, but also abound in this grace. It's a part of grace. You can't pull that out of who you are as a child of grace. Now notice what he says. And I say this to you as well. I agree with the Apostle Paul. Strange, huh? I actually believe he was authoring words inspired by the Holy Spirit that these are what God would say to us tonight. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. In other words, you can actually see how this works out. And our baseline is how did Jesus give? And here's how we know that. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Wow. You see, sometimes people skip over this and they go, well, it's just kind of talking about our salvation experience. No, it's actually talking about your response to your salvation experience being visible in the way you give. What you do with your resources. How you handle yourself that way. And it's important. Because as the Apostle Paul says, you can see how diligent you are in living out grace if you give the way Jesus gave. What did Jesus hold back? Anybody know? Shout it out. Nothing. Nothing. Amen? Correct answer, nothing. Jesus withheld nothing. He gave everything. He left heaven, came to earth, abandoned all of the glories of heaven so that we might become rich. And so that's the baseline. That's where we look at our lives. We say, look, there should be nothing that I hold back and say, well, you can have everything but. You, you, you can use my life, but don't ask me to do that. And again, the apostle's being, uh, he's being so straightforward. He said, look, I, I'm not making a commandment. I'm not telling you this because, you know, I'm trying to put a burden on you. I'm saying, this is the standard. When we give, because that's how Jesus prefaced it. We give as he gave. Everything. Everything. He's the preeminent example. When we give ourselves fully to God, we're not going to have any problem giving away some silly substance that he entrusted to us. If I am fully Christ, I recognize that everything I have came from him. And so I'm not going, well, you know, what if you don't give this back to me? I've met people like that, and they're so miserable. They wander around. They've got a death grip on something that's going to perish. Do you know why Jesus said, do not store up treasure on earth where moths and rust can corrode and destroy it, but store up rather treasures in heaven? Do you know why he said that? Because the stuff here is not eternal. The stuff that you do for up there is eternal. So building churches in Africa, eternal. Building orphanages in Peru and Central America, eternal work. Building hospitals, eternal work. Taking care of people's needs when their church has been ruined by an earthquake, that's eternal stuff. Bears eternal reward, eternal fruits. 
taking care of God's house so that we can do church well, eternal things. Our focus is eternal because that was Christ's focus. You see, sometimes we're not motivated that way. And so what we do is we start to kind of barter with God. It's like, well, you know, I'll give God an hour and 15 minutes every week. I'll serve at one service on Sunday. And please don't receive this as a chastisement. I'm telling you what I have said in my own heart at times in my own walk. Well, you know, I'll volunteer to service. That's really good, by the way. And praise the Lord and thank the Lord for you for doing that. But that's not the end of the story. Because God gives us a lot of daylight hours and us giving back one, in, one hour and 30 minutes of the 24 hours that he gives us to live every day is not exactly a big deal, is it? It's not. It should be something that we do because he was also a servant. Amen? It's what Jesus did. So we serve the way he served. We also give the way he gives. And so it's not one or the other. I've had people say to me things like, I teach Sunday school, so I don't give. Brothers and sisters, that's just an excuse. That is an excuse for unfaithfulness. That's us going, well, I'm going to barter with God. I don't want to worship him that way. I don't want to be a part of God doing these these other things in the world. I just want to be a part of this. As good as that is, and it's good that you volunteer. Praise the Lord. But it's not, I volunteer so I don't have to give. I should volunteer and give. Both things. It's not one versus the other. Why? Because the two go together in Scripture. Nowhere do we see this isolated from the rest of our, of our life in this world. There is nothing that we all have touch us on a daily basis more than our finances. Amen? That's really it. Why do you, let me prove this to you. Why do you go to work if that's not true? Am I right? You spend most of your waking hours earning money so you can make a mortgage payment, put food on, all those kind of things. And those are all good and wonderful. But God's your provider. He's Jehovah Jireh. It's not just that you keep a job. It's not just that you go do a good job at that job that you keep. It's that you serve the Lord of heaven and earth and everything on it already belongs to him. And the way that we tell him that we trust him is by giving. Because he's already given us everything we have. It's not, well, you know, I, I, I want to do this. And so the fourth thing that we see here is that we give sacrificially. Can we all agree Jesus was the wealthiest person to ever step on this planet? Jesus was the wealthiest person to ever step on this planet. Why do I say that? Because the sheep, the cattle on a thousand hills, the gold and silver and everything in every mine and the earth and the fullness of it actually belongs to him. And one day he's going to come, he's going to unfurl the deed to earth and he's going to take the earth back. It actually belongs to him. 
So when he came as a babe in a manger and grew up and walked this earth, he was actually the world's first gazillionaire. There hasn't ever been one since. He's the only one that's ever been here because he actually owns everything Bill Gates owns. Bill Gates thinks he owns it, but it actually belongs to Jesus. So let me finish this thought with you. Who are you? You are the children of the Most High God. So if our Savior is the actual deed holder to earth, and you have been adopted into his family, how rich does that make you? Like really super rich, amen? So now you may not feel your inheritance just yet. Amen? Some of you are kind of waiting for the check to roll in from the trust, the Jesus in heaven trust. But it's a sure thing. You're a child of the king. And so what he owns, you already own. It's already yours. Now, I'm not trying to trivialize that, but I am telling you that eternity is the great equalizer of inequity while you're here on this earth. And so those things that we suffer, though for a season, Scripture says, while we're here, are minuscule relative to eternity. And so God asks us to do something that's hard for us. He says, while you're here, I want you to do what I did. Now hear me well. I want you to do what Jesus did. I I want you to give everything so that people can come to know me. That's your time, your talents, and your treasure. I don't want you to hold anything back because you're my kids and trust me when you get here you're not even going to notice what you didn't have there. So I want you to trust me and join me on this grand adventure called Christian living. Your walk with the Lord. And let me have control of your fine. So if I tell you and notice not if Pastor Jeff tells you if the Lord tells you I want you to do these things He's doing that because he knows what's best for us. And so we join the Lord in giving sacrificially as well. And I know these things are difficult for us to comprehend when we're in financial difficulty. But the way out of financial difficulty is recognizing who has all the cash. If anybody in this room actually trusts that our federal government has cash, oh, dear Lord. We are gaining on $60 trillion of national debt. We're passing a quarter of a million dollars of debt for every man, woman, and child that lives in the United States of America. It's so much money, it can never be paid back. It literally will take a recession, a crash, and a devaluation of our currency in order to balance the books. It can't be done in in a natural means by human beings. And so we're trusting in these systems that we've built up. We're trusting that, you know, the the funds that we have are always going to be there and all those kind of things. And that's why Jesus said, don't trust in those things. 
because they're just things of the earth. We have to trust in heaven. You know, we're, we've reached that age. I don't know how many of you are in here that you're, you know, you get your social security statements. That's the most depressing thing on earth. I'm, I'm rec- I have worked for over 50 years and that's all I'm worth? I looked at Connie, I looked at Connie a while ago. I go, honey, it'd be better if I died, you'd get more money. She, she didn't quite appreciate it, but I was just being, I'm looking at it like, you, you'll be better off if I croak. That's kind of the world. We just don't want to admit it. So we wander around in our little world going, well, I'll keep all this stuff and, you know, somehow it's going to, it'll all be better. Now, I'm not telling you, God bless you. And I pray that every person in this room has more money than they will ever need. I really do. And I pray that everyone has retirement funds and all those kind of things. And I I think we should. I, I would pray that everyone has more than they need. But the fact of the matter is, probably some of us in this room are never going to have all that we need. And some of us are going to have more than we'll ever need. And so the way that we help balance that out is by what we do in God's house. So we can take care of some of those places in the world that have great need. That if left to their own devices, there's no way. And so God entrusts funds to us so that we can do things that he wants to do in the world because it's all his anyway. Jesus became bankrupt so that we could become rich. That's the truth. I want to end with just some very quick things because this goes on for a couple of chapters. I'm going to divide it up into the biggest chunks I possibly can. But I want to set the stage for the next couple of studies as we're going to cover the rest of eight and all of nine all at once because this is a singular subject. And I, I pray that it will be a blessing to you. But when we think of what the Bible says about this principle of giving, the only reference point that we have is the biblical tithe. We don't have another reference point. The only thing that we have in the, latter, in the very last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, we have repeated the only standard that we have, and it simply means a tenth. Now, am I standing up here telling you that every last one of you needs to go and check the change in your ashtray if you still have one in your car and do what Jesus scolded the Pharisees for because they didn't take a look at their mint and their cumin and their spice cabinet and go, what are you doing? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just simply saying the only standard that we have is the tithe, the tenth. Secondarily, the Old Testament actually taught all, all manner of things that were due before the Lord under the law. And it got up near 30% if you added in all the temple taxes and all those kind of things. So this is not about an amount. But it is also true that the Bible, when it speaks about financial things or it speaks about possessions, does so in 2,350 verses. So God actually is concerned about what you do with what you have. A vast majority of the parables of Jesus contain references to possessions. Why? Because it's a real good way to check your heart. Because if you won't give of earthly things, 
pretty likely you're holding back in spiritual things which are invisible. So he's just simply saying there's a connection between how we view what's been entrusted to us and, and what is going on in our hearts towards the Lord. Money in and of itself, again, as Jesus taught in Matthew's gospel there in chapter 6, is neither good nor bad. Money is basically neutral. You can do good with it, and you can do bad with it. It's what you do with it that makes it good. And that's why he said, don't lay up treasures here on earth. And then he said the reason why. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when you start storing up stuff for now, guess where your heart's going to be? You're going to be all worried about the stuff here. And you're going to be freaking out and flipping out. You're going to say, oh man, I can't believe it. But if you're storing up treasure in heaven, then if everything goes bad here, guess where your treasure is? It's where it can't be touched. It's in heaven. And so the Lord just simply reminds us, look, get a focus on eternal things. And so as you look at these principles that I think the scriptures clearly teach us, God has actually ordained his house where, where these things would be, be taken in. That begins all the way back in the book of Exodus in chapter 23. And, and when you look at what God wants us to do, he's simply saying, look, if I can't trust God's people to do God's work, who can I trust? Right? We know who we can't trust. They're on the other coast, and they're in a thing we call the uh, District of Washington, D.C., amen? We give them stuff, it's never enough, right? It's just true. It would not matter how much percentage, and I can prove this to you. The highest tax rates on earth exist in Scandinavia, Denmark, You're talking about a taxation that exceeds 45% in some cases. 45% of everything goes to the government. You want to know what they still have? Poverty, drugs, homelessness, underachievement in school. And they're nearly getting 50% of everything everyone makes. That's not the problem. Because the problem has never been solved by the world. The problem has always been solved by God. If a problem gets solved, God does it. And so what God is saying to us is, look, we're just stewards of his resources. And so whatever he gives us, he wants to still have access to. It's like if I want to do something, I want you to be able to do it. So I'll just speak into your life by the Holy Spirit and it gets done. If you give it to Washington, D.C., they start a committee and then they have a foundation, and then they put together a bunch of people, and they give like 95,000 people a job trying to figure out who's going to actually do it. Nobody actually goes out and does it, but then you can give them some more money. You understand what I'm saying? And trust me, that is exactly how it works. Name one thing that our federal government does in an economic way. Nothing. Why? Because it's not being run by the Lord. Do you know who's responsible for building most of the hospitals in third world countries? The church. The schools? The church. Orphanages? The church. Do you know who's feeding most of the hungry people in the world? The church. 
It's not governments, it's not the World Health Organization. As good as some of those things actually are and as good as the good they do is, most of the philanthropy, the true philanthropy done in this world is still to this day done by the church. So God says, look, I want to give it to the church so that the church can do what I know the government that's run by the enemy will, they just simply won't do it. And I'm not bagging on our government. I'm just simply saying it's not a Christian organization, okay? It's not. We need to pray for our president. We need to pray for our Congress. Absolutely, pray for our Senate. Pray for our Congress. But the fact of the matter is, it's not a church. And so it's not run like a church would be run. It's not viewed as well this stuff came in, because what do we hear all the time? That's supposed to be a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. But is it? Not so much some of the time. Especially when it comes to helping out people in need. We seem to throw a lot of money at things and it doesn't actually reach the people who have the need. It's because God never intended us, the government to do that. God intended the church to do that. When the church sees the need, the church is supposed to meet the need, not go to a government organization and say, can you give us some money? We're supposed to be able to write a check and say, here it is. We're supposed to build that orphanage, not talk to somebody about building the orphanage. We're supposed to feed the hungry person, not ask if somebody can get us some coupons so we can feed the person. We're supposed to do what we do in this church, which is to hand them a sack of groceries. That's what we do. That's what you do. Somebody comes into the office and they need food. Guess what they get? Food. Not, well, you know, we know these people. You can go talk to them. You can fill out a form. No, it's just, God bless you. Can we pray for you? That's because of our giving, family. That's because of what you do before the Lord in worship. When you read that last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, you're going to find several things there, and they are super important. Tithing is actually your protection against the enemy in your finances. It's very clear. Number one, as we bring those tithes into the storehouse, we're we're actually the only place where we've been told, look, test God this way. And see if I won't pour out a blessing upon you there in verse 10 of Malachi 3. But in verse 11, it says this. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit in your field, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I don't know about you, but I want God taking care of the stuff that's in in our house. So, maybe I ought to try doing what he asked. You want your cars to last longer? Give. You want your house to have the paint stay on it a while longer? Give. You want to make sure your shoes... Look, if you have kids, in Jesus' name, the Lord deliver you from tennis shoe envy. You know, kicks. It's like, how, how can we be paying 200 and what dollars you want? Huh? Because they have the claw on them? God might bless you with a magic marker. You can make your own claw. (laughs) I don't know. 
Maybe he'll just give you the common sense to say no. But if we want God's blessing in our life, we have to handle all things entrusted to us his way. And so I don't want Satan to attack our finances. I want what I do to be in line with God's priorities for our financial lives. There in Exodus 34, bring the choices First fruits of everything. That, again, is a reference to the tithe. Of everything that your soil produces. Now, remember, when you're looking at the Bible, you're talking about an agrarian economy where sheep were the equivalent of checks. You follow what I'm saying? Chickens were the same as some cash in your pocket. Grain was the equivalent of you having an ATM card. Those were tangible assets that you could spend in the marketplace. And so while it doesn't talk directly about us having an ATM card, because nobody had one when the Bible was written, but it is exactly the same. You were a wealthy. Why do we know that Abraham was wealthy? Because we're told he had a thousand camels, amen? Not because he had $6 billion in gold bullion stuffed underneath his mattress someplace in the Ur of Chaldees. That's because he had camels and sheep and goats. And he had fields and farms that he was responsible for. And so when we look at this, giving of the Lord, giving back to the Lord, is a way that we say, God, we're trusting you for all this. Everything you've given me, it came from you. Another thing that we see there in Malachi 3 is that by not giving back to the Lord, Scripture says, again, not Pastor Jeff, Scripture says, that is akin to robbing God. Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Why? Because God's asked us to give it back to him. And we've said, nope, we're not going to do that. And so when God says something, we're supposed to do it. He hasn't rescinded these things. It's not like he said, well, you know, because it's the New Testament, we no longer even think about giving anymore. No, the church was just as in need then of doing the things that God had called them to do. And so he leaves those things intact. I can find no place where there's any other standard. Tithing is worship. It's what we learned in the book of Genesis as we studied through it. And tithing actually predates the law and the church itself. And so when you look at these things, you know, we can make up all kinds of excuses as to why we don't do what the Bible says. But when we do, we do amazing things for the kingdom. I want to share with you one more story. I'm going to actually give Connie the card when we get home. I got a card today from VBS, and I'm going to try and do this one without crying. There was a pastor and his wife from a church that I do not know their name, they didn't say. But there have been some very serious problems that have gone on in their family. And they were seeking the Lord, trying to get away from that, and they came to stay with family here in the South Bay. This is a pastor and his wife of a church with their three sons. Somebody because of God's goodness, handed them a card to our VBS. They live on the other coast. 
They're here trying to get away from those problems and seek the Lord. Because it was free. Because unlike a lot of churches that charge for VBS, the Lord has given us richly and we want to richly give. So our VBS was free. Including all the t-shirts and all the art and the decorations and all the snacks and everything else for all those kids. All three of their sons committed their life to Christ here at this church. That's because you were hearing from the Lord. We don't have those resources. We don't do those things. It just happens with abundance. When you have abundance to work with because God's people have listened to the Lord and done what God's asked them to do, it is amazing what you can do. And God just allows us to do those things. He says, do it. I actually got asked. He said, well, you know, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to? It's like, look, the Lord's already given it to us. Let's just do it. It's not a matter of us sitting around deciding, you know, we have to get some volunteers to, you know, chop up, you know, some type of thing that we can sell. No, it's, it, it's the Lord's been good to us. And so as Jesus and Paul both taught this very thing, Jesus in Matthew 23, Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, I want to leave you with this. There's joy in grace giving. It's what it says here, that our tithing should be joyful. When we get to chapter 9, we're going we're gonna to hear these words. It's never forced. It's never an obligation. It's always an act of worship. And it's a way that we accomplish much for the kingdom. Me personally, I'd rather do more than less. Time is short, amen? And our generosity does more than our being stingy. It's that simple. We can do more with more than we can with less. I know that seems a little simplistic, but that's the case. We can do more with more than we can do with less, amen? So so when the Lord leaves these things in our hands. He says, look, I want you to join me in this joyful thing called, called giving, which is an act of grace. It's, a, it's an act of worship towards me who's given you everything in the first place. It's so that we can have the joy of doing more. And that includes taking care of our employees and providing for health insurance and all those, those types of things are ministry as well. We want to do that. I don't ever want the world to outdo the church in that regard. It is a stain on the name of the Lord when you hear these disastrous stories. Well, yeah, I worked for a church, but I, you know, I worked at the church during the day, and I got six jobs at night, and my family got, you know, we got cancer, and we had no help. That's crazy. That should not happen in the body of Christ. And as soon as I say this, I'm sure God's going to allow a lesson for me, so just know that. I'll probably get beat up or something. But I know this. God actually wants us to do more. You know why I know that? He said, this is my desire that you bear much fruit. Not that you have a skimpy little basket with two grapes in it. 
but that we bear much fruit. And as we do things God's way, especially with our finances, we can bear much fruit. We can do more things. We can bless more people. We can build more orphanages and more churches. We can, we can send out more pastors and sponsor them. You know, we get these emails back from all these churches that we planted, and you watch. There are literally thousands of people attending church in Central America because of you all listening to the Lord and being faithful in this regard. There are thousands of people in churches because of that. There's not two or three. There are thousands of people who have buildings to meet in and pastors who are taking care of their families all because we want to do more. So thank you for hearing the voice of the Lord. Thank you. As your pastor, it is a privilege. It's a privilege to pastor this church and to see what God's doing in your lives with this regard. A vast majority of you. I'm sure before the Lord because of what we, we see we do. I'm sure that there's intense faithfulness and joy. Well, let's keep it up. Let's keep going until the Lord takes us home. Amen? There's plenty to do. So let's see if we can try and outgive God. He gave everything. We give to him. No telling what the Lord might have us do. Who knows? We might have to build our first hospital. We haven't built one of those yet. (laughs) Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray together. Father, I first... um, just want to thank you I want to personally thank you for your faithfulness to my family to us the gills Lord you have been faithful to us every single moment of our of our lives Lord you've blessed us richly you've given us abundantly Uh, and so I thank you I thank you for the faithfulness of this church or the people that graciously grind it out at, at work Every single week. Lord, I, I don't take for granted one moment, not one cent, has come into the coffers. And so, Lord, we pray as a board we'd be faithful stewards and overseers of your things that you've entrusted to us. Thank you for those that have given painfully, Lord, for every last widow's might that's been dropped into the bottom of a tithe bag, Lord, that was so painful it may have resulted in no dinner that night. Lord, would you bless that person beyond anything they can imagine. Lord, we ask you to cure poverty in our midst. Lord, I ask you to give a job to anyone who needs it. Anyone who's here tonight that doesn't have a job, they're unemployed. Lord, would you please, would you please just pour out a blessing upon them that they can't contain. And Lord, as we do what you ask, and Lord, as we're faithful in worshiping you this way, Lord, we simply want to do more. We want to have more fruit in the basket. We want to accomplish all that you have for us. And so we just, we just give you everything, Lord. This, everything here is yours. Direct us on how to use it for your kingdom and for your glory. Thank you for the board, for the men that have faithfully served this church, many of them for more than a decade. Lord, thank you for them. We pray that you would bless us. Lord, encourage us strengthen us use us Lord in these last days in Jesus name Amen Amen